Well, last week we started a new series entitled Unknown God. And we were last week in Acts chapter 17, you remember we talked about that passage where Paul had arrived in Athens, and as he walked through the city of Athens, that in every place he saw all these idols, and he saw these altars that uh, the, the people of Athens had erected to, uh, to honor all of these different gods, these different gods from different places, and you know, all the different names, and all the different things that they were gods of, and it was just this kind of long, crazy litany of, uh, of worship that took place, and, and, and in all of that, through all of that, Paul noticed that one altar that was there that said, to the unknown God. And so we talked about that a little bit last week, how Paul used that as an open door to begin to introduce them to the God that we worship here today, that we celebrate here today. That God that is the only God, the one true God, and that is the God that we've been singing about, the God that we've been talking about, the God who gave his son Jesus to die for us and rose again for us. And and so we, we walked through that passage last week, helping to underscore exactly what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, and that is that the gods that we've created, that we've placed into our lives, the gods that we have elevated to levels of importance in our journey that have now become more important to us and, and our culture and so many people, uh, sometimes even within the church itself, that those gods have become more important than the God that we worship. And so today we're going to be walking into 2 Timothy chapter 3. And today we're going to be talking about the God of pleasure. The God of pleasure. Now why is that such an important topic? Why is that something that we want to talk about today? Well, here's the reason, is because today our culture has become a culture, a place, a nation, a city even, that we now are so overwhelmed by the things of this world, that we love the things of this world so very much that they actually have become objects of worship. We have messed up our priorities. We place those things in, in the first position in our lives rather than having God in that first position. And so I want to read this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I encourage you to turn in your Bibles or open your phone or however it is that you follow along. And by the way, let me just say this. You know, if you, if you, you know, I, I bring a Bible with me to church. I've done this since I was a little kid. Remember back when we were growing up in Sunday school, we were always told, bring the sword, you know, and, and we were told to bring those little Bibles with us. And, and so I've always done that. I know that, you know, younger people today, they bring their, their Bibles and their phones and their apps and their iPads. All. Listen, I don't care how you get it here, but, but one way or another, let's make sure we have God's Word with us when we're in church. And whether it be on your phone or whether it's a screen or whether it's actually a printed copy, regardless of what it is, let's make sure we do that because we want to follow along. I know it's going to be on the screen and that's awesome and that's great. If you forgot it, that's fine. But let's just try to make it a practice that we bring God's Word with us because listen, this is the book that God's Word says is living and powerful. And so the words that are found within the pages of this book are something that, that should guide us and should lead us, should encourage us, and it ought to be something like that we, we just want to have in our presence, okay? That's a little side note. Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read five verses today that, that kind of describes, if you will, this whole picture of, this idea of God of pleasure. Now let's read this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and again, Paul writing here, and he says, but know this, writing to Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. 
For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then this last statement, and from such people turn away. Now, this is a, a description of a society that was in existence 2,000 years ago, but again, we say it so often around here, whenever you read God's Word, it, it almost always seems to be a mirror image of the world in which we live, doesn't it? Uh, you know, what we see, this list that we just kind of walk through, I mean, come on, go to any city, you know, turn on the television, to any channel, open up any website, and everything that I just described to you, that I just read to you, could be said of every place that you can go. It can be said of every situation, every society, certainly can be said of our leaders, certainly can be said, uh, you know, of our, our media culture, all of those things. Like this is a, a list that could have been written yesterday. And that's the beauty of God's Word, is that God's Word is timeless, that, it, that it's not bound by the things of, uh, of the, the calendar, it's not bound by issues of, of societal transitions. It, it's just true. It's just plain true. And so Paul's writing this passage to Timothy. And he starts this statement that in the last days, now some people, you know, will kind of use that statement, the last days, to think, well, when you get to a point when right before Jesus is going to return, that's the last days. But that's really not the context in which Paul was writing here. That's not what he was actually talking about. When Paul said in the last days, what he was talking about was the days in which they were in, but also the days in which we were in. Why? Because Paul referred to the season of the last days as from the moment that Christ ascended into heaven, from that point forward until Christ's return, those were the last days that Paul was talking about. So when Paul wrote in the last days, he was talking about 2,000 years ago. But he was also talking about 2020. Boy, was he writing about 2020. Can it get any crazier in 2020? And, and unfortunately, I should even ask that question because the answer is yes, it can. Uh, but, but the idea is, is the last days were then and the last days are now. And so when he says, in the last days, perilous times will come. And I think all of us would agree, like, we're in perilous times. And whether it be in a political sense or whether it be in an economic sense or whether it be in a health sense as we've been in this year, regardless of what it looks like, Regardless of the context of the word perilous, the point is this, that it actually, it works in every scenario that we're talking about. We are in perilous times. We are in the last days. And then he used this phrase very clearly right up front here uh, in this passage, and in verse 2, and he says this, for men will be lovers of themselves. And that right there encapsulates the picture of our society, it encapsulates the, the essence of the problem, it encapsulates all of the issues and all the challenges that we face day in and day out. We have become lovers of ourselves. Now here's what that really kind of means. It means this, is that we are more interested in what we want than we are in what God wants. That we're more interested in what we desire than what God desires for us. That we have more interest in trying to get out of life for us more than we put into life for others. 
that basically it's the idea that we so often, like we're in it for ourselves, like get all that you can. It's all about you. It's all about me. It's kind of the idea, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's like, I want more. Now that picture, that description is something that Paul made and wrote to Timothy. He said, like, watch out, man, because we're, we're, we're in difficult times, Paul says. That's the, kind of the way we would probably write it in 2020 language, right? You know, we wouldn't say, you know, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What we would say is, hey, listen, dude, like right now, man, things are bad. Things are tough. Life is difficult. The challenges are everywhere. The problems seem to be overwhelming. They they're seem to be insurmountable. And the reason is because right now, these times that are so tough, it's because we've come to the place where we love ourselves more than anything else, the God of pleasure. In other words, I want to enjoy life, and I want to enjoy it on my terms, and I want what I want, and I don't care what it means to anybody else. I don't care who else it hurts. I'm in this thing for me. And isn't that kind of a picture of what society really is all about today? I'm in this for me. And so Paul wrote in these days, in these last days, these perilous days will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, which by the way is the exact opposite of God's plan. You know that, right? God never put us on this earth to be lovers of ourselves. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's God's plan? When you read Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus spoke from his own lips the words talking about who you should love and how you should love, he didn't say, listen, man, you gotta, you gotta love life. Man, you gotta love pleasure. You gotta make sure you get out of life everything that you possibly can. You gotta, you know, just drain it for all of its worth. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get in there and get whatever you want. That's not what he said. What Jesus said is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. In other words, love God with everything. Love God before anything else in this world. Love God more than anything that you have. Love God more than anyone you know. Love God more than anything that you can obtain. Love God more than a stock. Love God more than a car. Love God more than a house. Love God more than gold and silver. Love God more than status. Love God more than power. Love God more than your job. That's easy. Love God more than anything else that you do. Love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Oh, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you notice when we read what Jesus' description of who we're to love and how we're to love, nowhere in it does he say, oh, and love yourself. Love pleasure. Love leisure, love comfort, love all the things that you can get out of life. No, that's not what he said. You see, God's plan was for us to love him first and then to love others. And so when we get to the place that Paul's writing here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that people will become in the last days, in perilous times, that they will be lovers of themselves, it's the exact opposite of God's plan. In fact, Newt Larson said it this way, when we fall in love with ourselves, our own appetites consume our souls. We become our own lover, pandering to that solitary I, which must of necessity dismiss all threats and counterclaims to our affections. Everything from thoughts to possessions must be lavished upon the one that we love, 
ourselves. It's interesting when Newt wrote these words, he said that we must, if we really love ourselves, if we've gotten to that place that Paul was describing, that we must actually get to the place where we dismiss all threats and counterclaims to our affections. In other words, we fight against everything that begins to threaten this love of self. So what we will do is we will attack other people. What we will do is we will criticize others who criticize us or who come against us and, and try to call us into account. People who try to hold us to a higher standard. People like maybe people within the church when we share God's word with them to tell them that what they're doing is wrong and what they're doing is sin. What we do is we will try to put that threat down because when we are in love with ourselves as our primary love object, what ends up happening is that we will try to destroy anything that destroys our view of life. And that is exactly what we see every single day in our culture, it's what we see in Hollywood, it's what we see in the media, it's what we hear in songs, it's what we see in our leaders. We see this constant idea that it's all about me, and if you don't like me, and if you come after me, and you try to hold me accountable, I will take you down. And by the way, when that happens in society, guess what ends up happening? Society is destroyed. Culture is ruined because that's not God's plan. It's the exact opposite of God's plan. And so when Paul said, hey, Timothy, listen, in the last days when you get there, like right now, right here, where we are, man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be perilous because people are going to be lovers of themselves. And then he began to list out the result of that. The result of being lovers of self, the, the result of messing up God's plan. Let's continue reading in verse 2 and continuing on. It, it just simply says this, they will be lovers of money and boasters and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Now, look, you know, when you go through this list, when you walk through this statement, you know, this result of what happens when we mess up God's plan, that if we're lovers of selves, if we're lovers of ourselves rather than lovers of God and lovers of others, the next natural step, the, like the natural progression is this, is that then we will become lovers of money. And we're going to talk about materialism next week and, and what it means to be a lover of money. But a natural next step, when you care about yourself more than anything else, the natural next step, and you cannot avoid it, is that you will become a lover of money. Why? Because you want more, more, more. And you've got to have more, more, more in order to, in order, uh, in order to, to feed the monster of self to feed the, the monster of pleasure, to, to feed the monster of like, I want more for me. And so he says, they'll be lovers of money. And then the natural next progression after lovers of money, listen to these words, they will be boasters and they will be proud. In other words, they will be caught up in pride. Now, you know what Proverbs says about pride, right? Do you know what Proverbs says about pride? Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. In other words, pride will always lead to self-destruction, and yet we haven't figured that out yet. So what we continue to do, what we're continually focused on is this, is it's all about me. 
man, and I want to make sure that I'm happy. I want to make sure I get out of life what I want to get out of life. I want to make sure that, that, that I get everything that I want. And so in order to get everything that I want, I want more stuff and I want more money. And when I get more stuff and I get more money, I naturally become proud. I naturally become arrogant. I naturally become boastful. I naturally become the kind of person that literally points everyone's attention to me. And so Paul said, listen, they'll be lovers of selves, they'll be lovers of money, they'll be boasters, they'll be proud. Now listen now, and don't miss this natural transition here as we read these words, because when you see a long list in Scripture, it's easy to miss the meaning in the long list, okay? So again, lovers of selves, lovers of money, leads to being someone who boasts, someone who's proud. Then the next word, blasphemers. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this, is that if you love yourself more than you love anyone else, if you love yourself even more than you love God, you will naturally then want to love money, and you'll love stuff, and you'll become proud, and you'll become boastful, and then you will begin to worship something that should not be worshiped. And when you worship self, instead of worshiping the only thing that should be worshiped, and that's God, guess what you've naturally become? A blasphemer. Now, if I went around this room and I asked anybody here, do you think you're a blasphemer? All of us would like loudly and quickly, and we would say, absolutely not. We're not a blasphemer, because we naturally associate the word blasphemer with someone who blasphemes Almighty God, and we certainly wouldn't do that. Well, except for we wouldn't do it with our words, but boy, do we do it with our lives. We do it with what we love. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't mention self at all. Here's what he said. He made it clear, you better worship God above everything else, but when you get things out of order, When you begin to worship the things of life, when you begin to point everything about life as I want this and I want that and it's all about me, you become a lover of money, you become proud, you become arrogant, and then you will absolutely live a life that is blasphemous to God. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I I do not want to live a life that blasphemes Almighty God, do you? But see, it's a natural progression. You can't avoid it. It will naturally come. It goes on to say there'll be uh, blaspheme, blasphemers, they'll be disobedient to parents. Don't even need to talk about that one, right? That naturally comes. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Man, if we could describe the culture today, if we had to come up with four words that perfectly uh, suited the world in which we live, let me read these words again. Unthankful. In other words, like people who feel like they are deserving of everything. It's all about me, and so I deserve this. They're entitled, unthankful, unholy. (laughs) Again, don't need to go into description there, right? Live in an unholy world. Unloving, unforgiving. Man, we live in an unforgiving society, don't we? We live in a time where, man, we want to beat people down, and when we beat them down, we want to walk over top of them, and then we want to leave them in the dust, unforgiving. It goes on to say they'll become slanders without self-control. 
In other words, they will attack others. They will brutally go after others and destroy them. Brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong. And here's the interesting thing. They go right back, Paul goes right back and uses the word haughty again. So he starts with lovers of selves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, and then he ends this list with the word haughty. And you know what haughty means, right? Proud. So in other words, what's the root of everything we're talking about? It's pride. Pride is the the driving engine of everything that we're talking about because when you are a person who's proud, all you care about is what? Somebody yell it out. If you're proud, all you care about is what? Self. Self. It's all about you. And so Paul is listing out this statement of Timothy. Timothy, listen, the world is going nuts. In these days since Jesus ascended into heaven just a few years ago, The world has gone crazy, and they're heading down the wrong path. Man, it's perilous times. It's scary times. It's difficult times. People are now focusing inward rather than focusing on God. They care about themselves more than anything. They want money. They love money. They've got to have more stuff. They become proud, and they become boastful. They become unthankful and unholy. They've gotten to the place where all they want to do is make sure they put everyone else down. They slander others. They destroy others. They're despisers of everything that is good. And then he goes right on to say, and it's all because of pride. That's the reason when you read the book of Proverbs over and over and over again, it talks about what pride will do. Pride destroys. Arrogance destroys. When you are all about yourself, it is always going to lead to destruction. It's why you've heard me say it a million times. When it's all about you, it's all about over. Because pride destroys. But pride is the natural result. When we fall into this trap, and it's a trap that's very inviting, because it's very accepted, It's what we're taught by the culture, what we need to have and what we need to do. You need to love yourself. We're told constantly, that should be our focus, that should be our heart, that should be the direction in which we go. A lover of self. And the result of messing up God's plan is this, when we fixate on self, rather than focusing on God, the inevitable result is abuse of everything and everyone. When you are a person who messes up God's plan, when you mess up God's order, when you walk away from Jesus' statement of loving God and loving others and all you care about is loving self, the inevitable result is that you will attack and destroy everything else around you and everyone else around you. And I think all of us could come up with at least one name of a person who does that every single day. Someone in our lives that we know, it might be a family member, it might be a co-worker, it might be a classmate, it might be someone down the street, maybe it's someone in the media, someone that we just happen to know from afar, from a distance, that destroys everyone and everything because you can tell all they care about is themselves. Listen, this is not rocket science. You don't have to have a PhD to figure out this path that I'm talking to you about today. God's Word clearly lays it out. When you love self, when you love yourself more than anything else, all of these other things, man, it is just a downward slide. It's like you're on a, you know, on a slide that goes from the top to the bottom and you can't, you can't get off, you can't stop. 
It's like a water slide. When you get on top of a water slide and that water's pushing you, you get any stress. You can't stop on that water slide. I mean, it's almost impossible to try to stop. Why? Because it's just a, a perfect flow that's going to push you all the way down to the bottom. That's what God's Word is talking about. That's what He's saying here. Lover of self and the result of messing up God's plan. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom, it never failed me. Anything that I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything that I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon's writing these words, saying, listen, I obtained everything that the world says was of value. I ran after it, and I got it, and I had it. Man, I wanted pleasure. I loved pleasure. And I had everything that the mind could conceive. And I realized this. It's all meaningless. It's all worthless. It all served no point whatsoever. Man, let that be a lesson to us. The guy who, by the way, by all standards, if you looked at the wealth of Solomon, if you looked at all the things that he had attained in his life, make no mistake, he probably was the richest man that has ever lived on the face of the earth. I mean, multi, 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 multi-billionaire. I mean, he would make people like Elon Musk and, and others that are like up in this echelon of, you know, worth 80 and 90 and 100 billion dollars, Bill Gates, all Listen, those guys couldn't even hold a candle to what Solomon had. And here's what Solomon said. It was worthless, had no meaning, no value, made no difference. Do you think maybe we can learn something from a person who had gotten there, who had actually attained everything that we would love to obtain in life? He'd gotten there and he had it and he said, it's all a waste of time. That's what Solomon said. Because what happens, and again, this natural progression when we're a lover of self, the result always takes us to that place, that list that we just listed off. And here's what it ultimately leads to. It leads to false worship. It leads to the place of what it talks about in verses 4 and 5, the last part of that of verse 4. It says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you ought to underline that in your Bible if you could. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Here's what happened is that Paul understood that people who were on this path where all they cared about was self and all they cared about was stuff and all they cared about was, was pleasure, what they end up doing is they end up replacing their own wants and their own desires. They're replacing God with those things. God has moved out of the primary position. And he's over here somewhere. We might keep him on the list somewhere. We put them on a shelf over here somewhere. We're going to show up on a Sunday morning. We're going to come in and we're going to sing the catchy songs and we're going to worship along with the team. Man, we're going to go in and we're going to listen to that preacher preach. Yeah, we're going to go through the motions, but God has been replaced with our desires. So Paul said, we'll become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, before I read that, understand, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, but he did not write these words out of his own thoughts or out of his own wisdom. 
Who gave him those words to write? Somebody yell it out to me. The Holy Spirit, God, right? So, so remember now, Paul's writing these words to Timothy, but they weren't his words. Like, these, these were God's words. And so God's the one giving us this list. God is the one giving us this warning. God is the one explaining how you got to watch out for all this stuff. And what did God end this saying with? What were God's words about that person who loved pleasure, who loved self, who had replaced God with all of these things? What did God say? You look into this passage. Here's what it says. And from such people, turn away. Run away from them. Get away from them. Don't be near them. Walk away. Walk away quickly. Stay away from those people. Why? Because they are people who destroy. Now, wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. What if that person is us? What if it's you? And everything that I just described, what if that is a description of you. The God of the universe is telling people, stay away from them because they destroy. If there's ever been a more clear and convincing warning to run away from being this kind of a person, it's found in the last part of that verse. When God says, just stay away from them because they're of no use. Man, I never want to be described by the God of the universe as a person who has no value in the kingdom of God. Do you? From such people, turn away. Run. Leave. Don't hang around them because of their no, no value whatsoever. Man, I hope that's been a convicting message to you today. It's been a convicting message to me because I never want to be the person that God says, stay away from them. Now, listen to this quote that Thomas Lee gave. He said, because they loved themselves, they also loved sensual pleasures. They were controlled by the quest for the thrill of pleasure. Given a choice, they would always please themselves rather than God. Given the choice, when they had an option, they would always lean towards pleasing themselves rather than pleasing God. That's an indictment against the people of today. Yes, written 2,000 years ago, but man, could not be more true, could not be more accurate, could not be more relevant in the time in which we live. God clearly said it, made it obvious, made it apparent, overwhelmingly true. Listen, from such people, turn. So let me ask you today, how are you living your life? Have you gotten things turned upside down? Have you flipped it around where you've become a lover of self far more than a lover of God? 
If today you were given the choice between having all the things of this world or being in the presence of Almighty God, what are you going to choose? Man, I've got to be honest with you. If you stacked up a billion dollars on this side of the stage, and then over on that side of the stage, you simply put a door that was a pathway into the presence of God. And I said, hey, choose. Which way are you going to go? Got to be honest with you. There'd be a lot of people that would look at that billion dollars sitting on the stage. And they'd struggle. They would struggle on which way to go. A lot of money over there. Eternity with God over here. What would you choose? Let me end our time together with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge this, that if one died for all, Jesus, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So in other words, our calling from God, stop living for yourself and start living for him. It's a clear decision. It's a clear choice. What would you choose? Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for the convicting words that we've read. God, we know we all struggle in this area. We do. We all love to be happy. We all love stuff. We all love to enjoy life. We love all the good things of life. We struggle in this area. And so God, in, in, in context of what we've read today, Lord, help us to never mix it all up. Help us to never get it out of order. Help us to always put you first. And God, I pray for every person in this room, every person watching right now, God, that that's the decision, the choice they would make. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, I know there are some people here today that maybe you've been running after the things of this world and you have just completely dismissed, set on a shelf, God in your life. Today's the day you need to just come to the place where you said, I'm done running down that road. You heard what God said. God said, turn away from those kind of people. And maybe today you're that kind of person. And you just need right now in this moment to say, God, I'm sorry. I've messed it up. I've been running down the wrong road. And I'm going to change it today. Right now, there's a moment where you need to repent of that sin. God, I'm sorry. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that if we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that he is God's son. When you believe that, it changes everything. And if you've never done that, you just need to pray that simple prayer. God, I believe. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again for me. I know he paid for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. Whatever your situation is, whether it's repenting of getting things out of order or whether it's coming to Him and accepting that free gift that God gives, today let this be the day you make that decision. God, I thank You for the fact that You forgive no matter what. God, I thank You that You save no matter what. 
So God, I pray that we would be a people who repent of our sins, that we would be a people, if need be, those watching, those here that need to believe and accept you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray right now that's what they will do. And God, that you will lead us and guide us, Lord, to love you and love others, to be who you've called us to be. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise and the work that you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.